Studios. This, this is the award-winning After 9 with Scott and Kat. Powered by Tony Johal, broker at REMAX Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it. What's up, everybody? Happy National Strawberry Rhubarb Pie Day. <laughs> you can't, you can't win them rhubarb. all. You can't win no. them all, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, let's see here. It is Wednesday. It is the 9th of June, and there's a lot to talk about here. First and foremost, I think this is funny. I actually came across it on TikTok. It's a girl who's traveling to Florida, going to enjoy a little downtime, some beach time. And what is, what is it people need when they go to the beach? A flotation device. This woman packed and checked a pool noodle. Why? Have you shopped for a pool noodle recently? Because last time I did, they were about $3. And honestly, if you're going to the beach in Florida, I've been many times, right on the side there. Right right up at the beach where you get your food. There are some fabulous and copious amounts of, by the way, gift shops and surf shops and things like that where you can buy Anything and everything. And and pool noodles are probably the cheapest things of them all. She had to pay, I, I believe it was $25 no. for the check. If you check something, you've got to pay extra for it with I, the airlines. Are we sure there wasn't crack in that pool noodle? Why would you check something <laughs> worth, a, worth like $2? I mean, uh, she says it was a dare. Oh, so okay. she did it. And they filmed it too. And the people at Southwest are like, Seriously? What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> well, that's got to be then, one of the stupidest fucking things I've ever seen checked. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know how an airport works. You can sit there outside your gate and you can even watch them load your bags. They got video of them loading this pool noodle onto the plane. And even the baggage guys were laughing like, who the fuck would check a pool noodle? What is going on here? <laughs> fuck. That's great. I love that. So we did talk about this on our FM radio show today and a few people texted in. One person told us the story of when they wanted to pack their vibrator and had to put it in their checked baggage. Is that the right place for it, or does that go in your carry-on? Where, where, first off, why? How yeah. long are you gone that you need to pack your fucking vibrator? But that aside, I guess you do check it. Could you keep it in your carry-on? Is that raising red flags? Yeah. I mean, well, okay, to answer the first question as to why, I mean, I don't know. This person um, followed up saying it was a week away in Cuba. So, mm, I mean, sure, maybe you're not sure what kind of goods you can get in Cuba and you just really, really need to bring that with you. I don't see a scenario where that's the case, but it's better be worth it. I bet that the people that do airport security have seen it all. Yeah. They have opened up bags and seen those x-ray scans, and they've seen every size, shape, color, dildo, and vibrator you can imagine. Mm-hmm. I guess some people don't have a problem traveling with it. Uh, not necessarily for me. I don't know that I would do that. But, uh, yeah, she decided she was going to pay the money and check her vibrator. So, uh, a girl. Good for you. While we're in Florida, we have another set of criminals, Cat. I love More the Florida people. criminals. I love the Florida criminals. They were breaking the law in the Sunshine State. And here's how this one went down. So these two, last Friday, got arrested on a park playground. Cops went up to them, and they were in the little, you know, the tunnel part? Usually it's a different color, like it's orange or red or whatever, that, that plastic tunnel. So they went in there. She was giving them a blowjob. 
right there in a kid's playground. Now, there were no kids around, but it was 9 o'clock in the morning. Who woke up at 9 a.m. and said, I'd really like to suck a dick at the park right now? <laughs> you assume they woke up and did it? I think they was just they were just continuing on the party. Oh, that's a yeah. good possibility. Yeah, I think it was so, more of a like midnight craving that turned into an early morning situation. Did they fall asleep or did they go at it all night in the park? I wish I had the answer. Yeah, I guess we don't know. She is 52-year-old Sharon Finlay, and he is 44-year-old Jermaine Jackson. Police say they were engaging in adult activities inside the children's crawling tunnel. So when police arrived, they're like, guys, what the fuck? Get dressed. And by the way, what's with all the booze? Apparently, they were surrounded by four locos and vodka. (laughs) (laughs) Now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. Her response was perfect because the guy didn't say anything, nothing, even though his mouth wasn't full. Cops are there and they're giving him shit for doing this at nine o'clock in the morning, broad daylight on a playground surrounded by four locos and vodka. All the woman said to the cop was YOLO. (laughs) You only live once, right? Might as well do it at the park. That's right. The fuck is wrong with people? You know what? I wonder how many times someone's used that excuse of YOLO and actually gotten away with it. Like, in, in what, what situation would that be? I mean, a cop, never. I don't think that could ever happen. But in any situation where you're like, well, fuck, man, YOLO. Like, it's true, YOLO. But, but I don't know if you could use that in this particular scenario. No. And by the way, YOLO is supposed to be used in one of those, like, scenarios where you're, you're living out a dream. You're going for it. Maybe this was on a, on the list of shit to do. Like, get drunk and fuck in a park at 9 o'clock in the morning. Maybe that was it for you. But otherwise, no. No good. We should mention coming up at the end of this podcast, as promised, uh, our new podcast sponsor, Tony Joe Hall from the Tony Joe Hall real estate team is going to be on. And we're going to talk to him about everything from is the market going to crash to interest rates to how you even get in the market. Because I know that it is really, really tough, yeah. particularly for first-time home buyers, and and unless you got a lot of money that was handed to you or that you managed to save up, you're borrowing down payments, or mm-hmm. you have to go way out of town or to a new-built condo. Yeah, and, and that's the only way it's affordable. There's a, there's a lot of cosigns happening because of that, for that reason too. So yeah, we'll definitely uh, talk to him about that because I know some people are uh, are a little bit hesitant and a little bit uh, scared to get into it. So we'll get his opinions on it. Quick update on a story from yesterday. We now know a few more details about Chris Harrison leaving The Bachelorette. He got, well, and The Bachelor. He's getting paid Dude. $25 million to shut up. Okay, so that's according to, you know, in, in yesterday's podcast, I was telling you about Deadline. Deadline was one of the first ones out with this story about him leaving, and it was a, apparently an eight-figure deal or whatever. And I figured, okay, like, 10 million bucks to shut up? Not bad. But apparently what he knows is so intense, it could probably, it's potential that it could kill the the Bachelor franchise altogether. But they want to keep the thing going without Chris. So they were willing to pay him 25 million bucks. And apparently he's the one that approached them. And it wasn't the other way around. He was waiting, you know, sitting there waiting, doing all the the things that he was told you should probably do. Go take the time out and figure out, you know, educate yourself and all those other things things that you hear and he wanted a date of return basically wanted to be 
ensured that he was going to get that fall spot, for example, for The Bachelor. And now I guess they couldn't do it. And he had a feeling that they were just going to dump him or hope, hoping that he would leave on his own. But he said no. He knows a lot of shit, Scott. I mean, nearly 20 years. We've heard rumors throughout the years, but never once has Chris Harrison really said anything about well, those he- rumors. Yeah, he had to protect his job and protect the franchise. And I believe he was also credited as a producer on the show for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, Listen, the amount of stuff that he has seen and heard over the years could probably break that entire multi-million dollar franchise. It probably made a lot of sense for them to pay him off, to shut him up. It's just, I don't know. It's uh, the fact that they paid him to not say anything really leaves more questions, Mm -hmm. I think. Like... Mm -hmm. What's so important that you were willing to pay that much money oh, to not have it come out? I mean, I'll give you some examples throughout the year. And, it, and and we know how it works. We know that it doesn't matter if it happened five years ago, 10 years ago, or up to 20 years ago. It can still come back to boot you out into the the street right now, right? We've seen it with actors and actresses. We've seen it with all kinds of different different examples of it. So I think they're really worried, particularly about the the early years of The Bachelor, Bachelorette, where we heard um, about a lot about um, their homophobic tendencies and the reasons why they didn't want any bisexual contestants. And they were scared of that. Obviously, we know there was a shit ton of white people the first while. Maybe you'd get like one black person a season, which is f- fucking terrible or anyone of of any actual diverse background, really, right? If you think about it. So there were rumors all throughout the years about that, about them doing it strategically. And it was really to do with money and how much money the show would make. And if they did that, oh, advertisers might steer away. So all of those things add up to a really bad time for them having to answer to it if Chris told everybody what what they said. I mean, up to now, we still haven't had, you know, a gay bachelor bachelorette, even though they've called for it. You see moves being made uh, across seas, like in Australia, they have their first bisexual bachelorette, things like that. And Chris, I'm sure, knows a lot. Chris, no doubt about it, probably knows that people who are still in charge of that show, and maybe they were once and now they're not, but it doesn't matter. All people would see is the headlines if he said, yeah, I overheard a conversation with the producer saying, oh, no, you can't have them because of X, Y, Z that's very racist or homophobic or, I mean, any of them, any of the above. So I think it could have really hurt them to the point where they might have had to shut down. Do you think there was any, um, like, assault-type stuff? I mean, there's been a lot of people that have had sex on that show in that fantasy suite. And if if it were ever to come out that, and and I'm just giving out a hypothetical here, but if it ever came out that the producers pressured a woman into having sex or even going to the fantasy suite. If it ever came out that, uh, I don't know, they ditched a contestant, a potential bachelorette, because they found out the bachelor isn't into black girls or something like that, like that would be catastrophic Mm -hmm. for that show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what? It's been told by many, many people that they do stoke the fire. And you can go ahead and you don't have to feel bad for the contestants in this scenario because it really is their choice. But I'll give you the example of the first night, the first night where they meet the bachelor or bachelorette, and usually a rose is handed out that evening. Sometimes people are dumped right away. That show actually takes place over the course of like an entire overnight period. And some contestants in the past have blasted the show for basically encouraging people to get drunk. There's copious amounts of booze happening all the time. 
They, they pump them, them full of booze. Yeah. yeah, they encourage them to get very emotional. They rile them up behind the scenes. I mean, I think you know how the interviews work. You don't hear it on the other end, but there are producers asking those contestants questions. And they know how to, how to kind of stoke the fire, if you will, and really get them riled up and ask them questions that maybe while they're drunk, they're going to have a particularly different reaction to. So we've heard that. Chris could come out and say, yeah, that's 100% true. They, or, they ordered shots for them and, and told them, come on, just take a shot. Like, we don't know. It could be something as simple as that. I mean, you're right. It could be, it could be something as big as, you know, a, an accusation like a sexual assault or any of the above. That would damage them, period, the end. Like, I think it would be over, and they don't want to lose that. That's a cash cow, by the way. For those wondering, those ratings still do really, really, really well for ABC. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the one thing that stands out to me in this is they paid him $25 million to not say anything and go away. Okay, but I mean, any contract I've ever signed, and you're probably the same because radio isn't the same type of showbiz, but it's very similar. I can't imagine they signed Chris to host 20 seasons of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette without a confidentiality clause yeah. right in his contract. So if they're paying him $25 million in hush money on top of the confidentiality agreement he likely already has... It's got to be pretty fucking substantial right. what he knows. Well, don't forget sometimes those expire because I've signed several NDAs in the past and they do have an expiry date. So it's quite Ooh. possible he did sign something and those clause do come up at a certain time. Like they will end at a certain point. So maybe he is able to at least tell us about the first 10 seasons, maybe not the past 10. Like you really don't know what's in those confidentiality clauses in those contracts. You don't know. And he's probably not even allowed to tell you, especially now if you've signed something new. But they're not even going to be able to tell you what was originally there. It's something that you probably we'll probably never know. But it, whatever he does know and whatever he was able to say, it's quite possible he had separate contracts for things like Bachelor in Paradise. But he learned enough doing that that he could get away with spilling shit about the Bachelor Bachelorette without saying it. I mean, we really don't know the details. But $25 million was way more than I thought. It really is. So if that's true... Uh, good on you, Chris. You managed to squeeze out a lot of dough before you stepped aside. Before we talk to Tony Johal, let's uh, talk quickly about Doug's vaccine rollout because people are starting to poke a few holes in what's going on here with the rollout in Ontario, Kat. Mm -hmm. So, first and foremost, what they're doing in parts of America to encourage people to get vaccinated is amazing. In Ohio, there's a lottery. In fact, I, th I believe there's a few states that are holding a lottery, and you can only get into that lottery if you've had your shot. Awesome. You can win millions just for getting your vaccine. In um, certain places, you'll get concert tickets or free tickets to sporting events if you have your jab. I mean, fuck, you can get a jab at a Blue Jays game in Buffalo right now, and your ticket to the game is free <laughs> if you do it. Like, cool. it's nuts. But in Washington State, they've got a whole other concept. Priorities are different on the West Coast. So they're doing joints for jabs. Come in, get your vaccine. They're going to fill your jeans full of weed when you leave. You're going to get a free joint. I think that's well, clever. I think that's great. I like Good. that. I like that. Sure. You know what? Whatever helps. Whatever helps. And if that encourages one, two, three, four, maybe many more people to go and get their shot, then all right, it works. Joints for jabs, poke and toke. Like, there's all <laughs> kinds of different things you could do with that. But what a brilliant idea. I think that's amazing. 
And they have a different problem in America. First off, America has still not approved AstraZeneca, by the way. Still not. But they have so many vaccines and they've made it so convenient to get a shot that a lot of people are like, eh, I'm not really opposed to it, but I don't need to do it right now. There's no sense of urgency there because things are open and they're doing well and they just you can get it anytime. You don't need to get it right now. So they're really circling back and trying to get the people who haven't been vaccinated yet vaccinated. So that's great. Here in Canada, we have NACI and and uh, all these other bodies that have given out a lot of conflicting information over the years. I, no, it's only been a year. Sorry. A lot of conflicting information over the year. And, and people are confused and scared and, and they don't want certain ones. And it's a hot mess. So yesterday, Ben Mulroney... Um, He tweeted about this, and I thought, yeah, I can totally see how that would happen, and this is part of the problem. He's had his first shot of AstraZeneca. He found out there was a pharmacy down the street from his place that had shots of AstraZeneca. There was nobody in line. He went and said, hey, I'm past the the eligibility time, but I don't have an appointment, but, I mean, can I I just have my second shot now? Nope. Sorry. Can't do it. Hmm. We have to follow the protocol. And Ben's like, I don't understand. I'm here. I'm willing to take it. This is my second dose. Like, what's the fucking problem? It's not like I'm cutting in in the line or anything. There's nobody in line. Yeah, no, sorry. Can't do it. Where's the common sense in this rollout? You know, I mean, I have to think that it would have been very easy for that pharmacist to use the shot that he already had loaded into the syringe. It would have taken him a minute to stick it in Ben's arm. Ben would be on his way. That's another person off the list. They can stop worrying about vaccinating Ben because he's done. And then wait for people to come in. I don't understand why we're fucking around like this. And the other thing I don't understand is why when kids, the 12 to 17 year olds who are booking their shots, are booking their second dose four weeks out. Yeah, is that happening everywhere? Like every every single time? I don't know if it's happening in every public health unit, but I can tell you it certainly is happening in Halton. And I don't understand why. I got my first shot at the end of April. So now we're into June, and I'm still waiting to even be able to book my second shot. Yet there's kids, 12 to 17-year-olds, who booked their first shot, I don't know, a week or two ago, and their second appointment is coming up in less than a month. Hmm. I get that we want to have kids vaccinated by the school year start in September, but, I mean, there's a lot of people who have been waiting patiently that are a lot more risk waiting for their second shot. So I kids who are typically asymptomatic and don't require hospitalization or anything like that, most of them don't experience any symptoms at all. I don't understand why they would be prioritized for a second shot over somebody in their 40s or 50s or even 30s. It's really weird to me that unless you're 70 plus or you got your shot back at the beginning, you can't book it yet. But a 12-year-old who just got their first shot last week is already booked to get their second three weeks from now. Right. Really, really strange to me, but this is uh, this is part of the dilemma of this mess that is a vaccine rollout in Canada. Um, last thing I want to touch on here before we get to Tony. Was it rude of the CN Tower to light up in the Montreal Canadiens colors last night? Because <laughs> they said, oh, Canada's got one team left eligible for the Stanley Cup, so we're going to get behind them. Right above the home of the Toronto Maple Leafs. They lit up in celebration of the Montreal Canadiens. People are like fucking angry about this cat. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Leafs fan, okay? I'm a Leafs fan. This is coming from a Leafs fan. Just know that 
It doesn't, it's okay. Like, everybody needs to calm down. And if you follow the CN Tower on Twitter, you should know that they light up a different color every day, sometimes two different times a day they change colors. For example, all through June, they might be one color during the day, but for Pride, at a certain point in the day, they will light up rainbow. So all through, during the month of June, month of June, their different days call for different, they lit up gold for the Junos. Every day, I'm not kidding you, is a different color, a new celebration. This was one day. One time, at, and maybe they'll do it again, depending on what happens here and out. I, I don't know what their plan is. Do, do, do you really care? Like, ask yourself if you really care. And also, as a Leaf fan, like, fuck, I wish that was blue and white. Yeah, maybe they should do better. And then maybe we, it will be lit up blue and white. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, we should start winning playoff series. And then maybe we would have a blue and white. But, I mean... Listen, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs are an iconic institution in the city of Toronto, a part of our history, and their arch rival. It's one of the oldest rivalries in pro sports is Leafs and Habs. And I get that the Habs came in and against all odds eliminated the Leafs, and then they went and eliminated the Jets. So they're going on. They'll be the only Canadian team playing for the Cup. That, well, maybe playing for the Cup. They'll, they're going on to the third round. Yeah, And that's fine, but... I just don't think that in Toronto's backyard, we light up in favor of our arch rival just because they're also Canadian and they're playing in round three. Mm -hmm. I I, I get why people are angry and uh, the CN Tower, it's in Toronto. If it was in Saskatoon or something like that, yeah, yeah, fuck, whatever. Do whatever you want. I don't care. But this is Toronto Maple Leaf land. And for them to light up in support of our arch rival, that just seems sketchy to me. Uh, if, if They could have just done red, blue, and white and just said, oh, yeah, it was just a random color that came up. Habs fans probably would have got it and thought, ha, that's cool. They didn't need to send out the tweet and make a big fucking deal about it and get everybody all riled up. Oh, come on, they don't make a big de- they didn't. They sent out their tweet like they do every other day or sometimes twice a day. They'll send out tweets about the fucking CN Tower. It's nothing new. They just happen to do it, and it caught. Of course, it's going to catch attention because it's in Toronto. Guys, it's not a big deal. Leafs fans, it's not a big deal. What, are you going to boycott the CN Tower? Go ahead. Like, they don't fucking care. You probably weren't going to go there anyway. I, just I don't, bulldoze the fucking thing it's, anyway. It's not like John, John Tory ordered it, too. So stop getting mad at John Tory for those people who think it was him and he's a closet Habs fan. Guys, CN Tower is its own entity. They have tourists from, never mind, all over Canada, all over the world, including Montreal. They don't care. They don't give a shit. Stop wasting your anger on that. It's it's dumb, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> that's just me. You're right. It wasn't John Tory, but I heard it came directly from Doug fucking Ford. <laughs> well, it would. Fuck you, Doug! <laughs> uh, can we talk about one more thing real quick before we uh, get to Tony? Yep. So a good friend of mine is a server and put out a note about this weekend, guys. Partial reopening? Are we going with that? I don't even know what the fuck we're calling it. Step one, well, okay? It's not a reopening, but yeah, step one is step the best one. way to put it. Step one includes patios. I think that's the thing people are talking about the most. Patios and and then obviously non-essential retail. Those are the two things I'm hearing of, although we know other things are opening. So when it comes to patio, they sent out a note, and I spoke to this particular person in person about this before she sent this out. She is looking forward to getting back to work. And she will start this weekend. And unfortunately, because it happened so quick, there are some servers who either decided to quit, didn't come back, uh, or couldn't work this weekend. And this is going to be a massive opening weekend for patios. So she sent out a kind reminder that I thought I'd share. And I'm going to read it to you guys, too. Because the comments on this, I was actually pretty floored. To anyone hitting a patio this weekend, 
It's a gentle reminder. We know you're excited to get out and enjoy food and drinks on the patio. We know you haven't been able to enjoy any type of public dining in over seven months. Please remember, that means we haven't been able to serve you in seven months. We haven't been able to cook for you in seven months. We might be a little rusty. We're adjusting. Please be kind to your servers, support staff, and cooks. We've all had a rough time. We're all doing our very best. We're just as excited to have you as our guest, but please be patient. And also remember, our wages have been greatly impacted. Don't forget to tip. Have a great, safe weekend. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I agree with all of that, and it makes sense. When you haven't, when you've been on vacation, I don't know, like you and I go on vacation for, what, a week tops at a time? Mm -hmm. When I come back, I feel a little rusty. So could you imagine being away from your job for that long and coming back in and being afraid that your customers are going to treat you poorly because oh, I forget how to enter this thing into the system. It's going to take a little bit longer to get drinks. Oh, the bartender forgets how to make this drink. Holy shit, it's been a minute. So could you imagine that? Put yourself in that position. So the, the note was just basically about be patient, be kind. Let's just enjoy this together. And holy moly, the comments that I got Saying you might not do a good job and asking for tips in the same paragraph? Wow, that's bold. Uh, oh, fuck off. Someone else. Tip? I never tip. Doesn't matter. Um, oh, someone deleted their comments since, uh, but it basically said similar. Um, I don't care. Uh, if you're late with my food, I'm not going to tip you. That kind of thing. Unbelievable. But anyway, I did think it was a nice, a nice thing to remind people of. Um, yeah, someone says no need to tip at all. Uh, some people said, um, I don't care. As long as you get my beer right, I'll tip you good. Uh, someone else, I agree if you're not willing to tip, you shouldn't go out to eat or drink. But tipping yeah. should not be expected of someone. Oh, fuck off. Yeah, really? It's, it's based on performance of the establishment and the waitress. And also, No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's fucking not. Yeah. Uh, not, someone else, if someone claims their wage is too low without tips, you should find a new job that pays you a fair amount. Okay. Oh, yeah. We should all yeah. just up and fucking quit if we don't right? think we're making enough money. So, look, there's a lot of dicks out there, but just know that if you are in the service industry, there's a lot of people that are looking forward to seeing you and will make sure that we as customers go above and beyond to make sure that your job uh, is, is a good and a happy one, that you have a happy experience your first weekend back. I hope they do, too. Please, like Kat said, be kind. And to you people that think, uh-uh, I'm not doing it unless you do a great job. I'm not giving you any money. What are you, in the goddamn circus? Like, oh, perform for me, and then you'll get rewarded with peanuts. Fuck off. If you're going out to eat, you need to understand that that person who's serving you, they're going to be kind to you. They're going to get your stuff as quick as they can, and they don't fucking cook it, by the way. That's somebody completely different that does that. They are getting paid by the establishment to be there and to do the basics. When they take care of you when they bring you your food when they bring you your drinks when they put up with your bullshit it's expected that you tip and if you don't want to tip don't tell them to go find a better paying job how about you stay the fuck home and cook yourself you don't go and not tip mm -hmm. that's just not an option get that shitty idea that archaic idea out of your head that tipping is optional right. if you want to set a rule of thumb minimum 15 percent. that's all there is to it Minimum 15. If they do go above and beyond or meet your Lord's expectations, then you go up a little higher. Am I the only one that, that thinks that that's incredibly rude and disrespectful to expect them to perform for money?
Like there's some sort of a busker in the subway? Yeah. Look, you're not going to find very many servers that are going out of their way to be assholes to you. And if that's right. the case, you should definitely bring that up to their management because maybe they don't, they shouldn't be doing that job that they're doing. And maybe someone has, I've never had that happen though. I've been out to eat many a times in my life. Never had, have I had a server so terrible. I mean, they'd have to be really bad, like completely ignoring me purposely, treating me poorly for me to do that. That doesn't, that doesn't actually happen. So, so you got to stop that mentality. You're absolutely right. It just, anyway, it did surprise me that people are thinking that way. Trying to stay home then, like Scott said, or order takeout. Go ahead and keep doing what you've been doing, you know? Uh, are we ready to talk to Tony here? Yeah, let's call do it. Call Tony. Did you call Tony? Call Tony. He's got, got a great he's, jingle. He's got the best jingle, I think, that uh, that there is. How are you? Good. Uh, glad you're on. Um, we, we said earlier this week we wanted to ask you a few questions about real estate and What's going on with the market? Because all I keep hearing is crash is coming, crash is coming, and and the bank is printing too much money. And is a crash coming? You know what? I've been hearing that a crash has been coming for the better part of 12 or 13 years. (laughs) And, you know, at this point, you know what? The way I see it is our banking system is, I would say, fairly responsible in how they're you know, giving out mortgages. This isn't a free-for-all where they're giving out zero, you know, zero-down mortgages. They're asking for the purchaser to put in at least 5%, 10%. And you know, just having a little bit of fiscal responsibility there, I do have faith in our, our real estate market that it, is, that it will continue to be strong. And so between the two big economic drivers in real estate, which is banking and immigration, I mean, Canada is going to be ripe for immigration in the next couple of years as things start to open up again. All of these people coming into the country are probably going to require housing. And so I would say the the demand will continue. But I would also go on and say that what we felt a little bit earlier in the year was just not sustainable. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was just we were going at a breakneck speed. We were going, you know, way too fast for what people were would would be capable of being able to afford. So I do think that we needed a bit of a breather. Uh, with that being said, we're still very, very much in a seller's market right now. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and I mean, oh, go ahead, Kat. Yeah. And speaking of which, you know, because I hear from people who want to get into the market that aren't in the market. And I feel like it's obviously it's pretty harsh uh, for them right now to get in. And they hear all of this talk of, you know, houses going for way over asking still. I mean, it is quite hot still. Like, what's your best advice? Because that that's what I get asked about or what people bring up the most is how can I get into the market? I mean, when I hear things like houses going for $70,000 over asking, you know, it can be very intimidating for people that are just trying to get in for the first time. I mean, what do you usually tell people and how do you help them make sure that they get a house that's affordable for them at a good price? I think that's a great point. And I would say, first of all, what I would I would definitely recommend is anybody that's getting into the market, they begin to, to really kind of put their, their student hat back on and really kind of understand what's happening in the real estate market here because there's a big difference between what is some what something is listed for and what something sells for uh, quite often. Or in this case here, what I would say, there's a big difference between listing price and market value. Because what a lot of people are buying into is the strategy. When they see something sell for $200,000 above the asking price, it doesn't necessarily mean that it sold for $200,000 above market value. So, I mean, let's just, the, the, the real raw example I give people is this. If a, if a home that is worth 
700,000 is listed for $1 and it sells for 730. Does that really mean it sold for 730,000 above the asking price? Well, technically yes, but it only sold for a small amount above the, the true market value. And I think buyers really have to understand what true market value is versus looking at the sticker, getting caught up in the sticker shock of hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands over asking price. So that is one thing that I would definitely recommend just uh, when they're sitting with their agent, have their agent really recommend, uh, you know, that they brush up on what exactly the comparable homes in that particular area are selling for, um, you know, if some, if the comparables are all, you know, between five and six hundred, and you know that buyer ends up paying seven hundred thousand, then yes, that is that is remarkably higher above the true market value of a particular property. But I would definitely say don't get too caught up on the listing prices. Look to see what the true value of the home is, and any good agent can can dig up that information. Yeah, but Tony, I mean, these houses are still selling way over asking. I mean, if somebody. If a house is listed for, say, we'll use a round number, it's listed for a million, and it sells for 1.2, I mean, that says there's way more demand than there is supply. And for no someone doubt. who's got to even put 5% down on a $1.2 million house versus a million dollar house, that's completely unattainable for a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. I think, first of all, once you kind of hit that million dollar threshold, your minimum down payment changes. So quite often what you end up have to, having to do when you're in that million-dollar price range is you have to come up with at least 20%. And quite often, the person that is buying a million-dollar home, quite often they're graduating from you know, a $700,000, $800,000 home. So they have built up enormous equity in their existing home as well to be able to make that transition to the next price range uh, a bit more seamless. But without question, it is a big, big down payment what we're talking about here. But once, once we actually look at our average home prices, I mean, this is, this is what, you know, other parts of the country, when, when we look at our Kitchener-Waterloo real estate, it's, we are in many cases still undervalued compared to some of the other parts of Canada in which we have just as many amenities, if not more. We have closer ties to the American border. And to be perfectly honest, when... We're not, we're not susceptible to major fluctuations here. Like we're not relying on the gas and the oil industry. We're, we're a manufacturing province. And, you know, in, in those side of things, we're, we're pretty healthy. And specifically to our region, we are we're a blossoming tech industry. And you're getting a lot of entrepreneurs coming out of downtown Kitchener, uptown Waterloo, and they're all starting these major startup companies. And some of these things have really, really took off. So I do think that Kitchener-Waterloo continues to be desirable. Is it underpriced? It depends what side of the fence you're standing on. If you're standing in the Toronto side looking at Kitchener-Waterloo, you're looking at it like a great deal. But if you're in Kitchener-Waterloo, born and bred in Kitchener-Waterloo, then quite often we get busy with the heights of the of the market at this point. Mm-hmm. It's a perspective thing. What are the, who are the majority of your clients right now? Are they, we know what it's like. I mean, for most people, maybe their job isn't a factor anymore. Where that used to be maybe the number one factor in figuring out where you live. And people have, it's changed completely now. If you can work from home and you know maybe that's a permanent thing for you, you don't want to spend those prices in the GTA. So you would move to Kitchener-Waterloo. Is that the majority of what you're seeing right now? It's certainly, the, they represent the biggest chunk of people coming out this way. 
Um, I mean, you're talking at least 40% of all of the homes selling in Kitchener, Waterloo, and Cambridge to, uh, to someone coming out from the GTA. So that is a huge number, considering the, the remainder 60% is divided up amongst, you know, our local people who are upsizing, downsizing, getting into the market for the first time. You know, there's, there's lots of, uh, there's investors still uh, in Kitchener, Waterloo that are snapping up properties as well. You know, but yes, to, to be perfectly honest, one of the big, big factors that we found is Kitchener-Waterloo is heavily influenced by the GTA for a couple of reasons. One is, in my opinion, I do think we offer a superior quality of life. There is less traffic. There is a lot of green space here. And we've got top-notch schools and we've got every retail outlet that anybody would ever need. You know, so I think from an employment standpoint, we, we can stand alone. We don't rely on GTA. We're not a bedroom community. Yes, some people do use parts of our city as a bedroom community, but Kitchener, Waterloo, and Cambridge itself as a region is very self-sufficient in terms of employment, housing, green space, parks, schools, highway access, and many other things. You know, I think that has definitely made us hugely, hugely uh, desirable. But on top of that, too, Kat, I'm going to add that the banking system has kept their, their interest rates really, really low. So with low interest rates, people are essentially upgrading in the, the size of the home that they have uh, to something larger, something with a bigger yard, but you know their, their mortgage payment still seems to be the same. That person who bought a house for you know when, when they were paying a 3.5% mortgage is now getting a mortgage rate for 1.9%, and they're getting a bigger home, which I think a lot of people in the past one year have really discovered, I need a bigger home. So many homes I walk into and you see Amazon boxes in the corner. People have really outgrown their home, using it for for school, using it as a gym, using it as a sanctuary from the pandemic. So people are upgrading here locally as well. Okay, so what happens when these interest rates go up? There's a lot of people who during the pandemic, because they had to, pulled equity out of their home. They borrowed more against what they had in their home. So when these interest rates go up and the mortgages are higher in some cases than when they bought the house, what happens then? Well, I, I do think that we were living on the edge prior to the pandemic. You know, we, you know, the average Canadian household debt was, was really, really high compared to the income that's being brought in. So I think you make a great point there uh, that, you know, we are, you know, one interest rate you know, spike, we are definitely going to see a decline in activity in the real estate market. There's no question. You know, even, for example, the the stress test, which recently got reintroduced on June 1st, now the the qualifying rate is 5.25%, which is really, really high. And for many buyers out there, that is is already taken away, you know, 5 to 7% of their purchasing power now for what they can qualify for. So, Scott, you've You've hit the nail right in the head there. If there is an adjustment on the interest rate, then we could see a slowdown in the market. We are very, very reliant on the banking, uh, the banking industry right now. Hey, I have a random question for you. As a re- yeah. as a realtor and doing what you do, if you won the Lotto Max <laughs> coming yeah. up on Friday, right? It's yeah. a dream, right? And I think property has a lot to do with it. When people dream dreams like this, or you come into it a copious amounts of money. What would be the smartest thing to do in terms of real estate if you came across that much money? I'm I'm asking because I'm hopeful that that's going to be me winning the seventy million dollars on Friday. You know what? I, I'm a big believer in the law of attraction, and I think you're going to win it. Yeah. So, uh, 
Um, for, for, I, I think definitely what the pandemic has taught us is that uh, various types of businesses, when it comes to investing in real estate, are a bit more risky than other types of businesses. Uh, you know, I primarily, I always believe in residential real estate because the two things that we need as human beings is food and shelter. And the pandemic has taught us that all the other stuff we didn't necessarily need. And things like that could be, for example, if somebody is investing, for example, into a commercial building or a commercial unit or a plaza, for example. Well, a lot of these big plaza tenants have downsized their footprint. A lot of these restaurants don't need 5,000 square feet anymore. A lot of them have really kind of adjusted their business to do takeout and, and smaller dining. So I would say definitely one of the biggest things that people really need to focus on in the upcoming future is definitely uh, residential real estate. And if you hypothetically can uh, win, win the lotto, I would definitely love to see, uh, I would love to see you investing into apartment buildings because mm. with a lot of people being brought into Canada over the next uh, five to 10 years with our region exploding in terms of growth, all of these people are going to need a place to live and a place to to, to kind of call home. See, anytime, th- yep. No, go ahead, go ahead, continue. I was going to say, anytime we bring a, a property to market that's for lease, the, the number of applicants we get on that is just phenomenal. And you do see those popping up everywhere. And see, that's a smart answer because I would be more selfish and like create a street just for like my friends and family. And that would be our street. But but apartment buildings. OK. And you do. You do see them everywhere for that exact reason, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a massive need for housing and landlords right now do kind of control uh, their their ideal tenant profile. And we are seeing multiple offers and things like that in the uh, in the rental market as well. So. I love apartment buildings. That is something that I would invest in. Would you downsize right now? Is this a good time for someone to cash out in anticipation of maybe interest rates going higher? I would definitely say that there's nothing on the horizon that tells me that we've got interest rates that are going to go up. So I would definitely say just live your your life the way that you normally would. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't prepare for an interest rate turn because, you know, what we found this time last year, as we went through phase one, phase two, phase three, and I guess now they're calling it step one, step two, step three. As we went through each sequential phase, we found the real estate market heating up with each phase reopening. So if history is to repeat itself, then there there could be another upswing before the end of the year in activity for people getting into the market. And then at that point, you know, I would definitely, I would definitely want, if it was my real estate, I would want it to appreciate as much as possible and kind of ride that wave. But at the same time, you have to be aware of the fact that what you're going to downsize to is also going to go up essentially in value too. Um, so it's, it's, it's very hard to time the market these days. Are people getting into this tiny home market? Because I get that you're allowed to have these tiny homes on your property if you have them yeah. and you can sell them or rent them. And it kind of seems like that's going to be the only affordable thing for people who are just trying to get into the market. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something unique uh, having these additional dwellings. And I think people would look at it from two different perspectives. They would look at it from a perspective of, yes, now I have an affordable home. Whereas landlords would look at this as saying, hey, now I have the opportunity to get more income out of this particular property 
So I think it really depends on the, the side of the fence that you're standing on. I do honestly believe in my heart that uh, this doesn't necessarily solve the, the housing uh, issues. This, doesn't, this definitely gives us more housing. There's no question. And I think the government has basically, you know, asked the, the, the consumer. I, sorry, the government has basically asked the, the homeowners to take care of the, the affordable homeownership prob- uh, problem that we're having right now. Because they're not creating anymore. They're basically just saying, yes, if you want to build one, go ahead and build one. We will remove any bureaucratic tape to allow you to do that. So, again, I think the, the, the onus falls on the homeowner right now to, to take care of this problem of providing more, more homes. Do I see it as being a way of the future? I don't think so. I do think people will live a bit more minimalistically. And I do think that condos would probably satiate that demand. Uh, I do think condos are going to be very big and very influential in the future in our region. I don't know if tiny houses are going to solve many people's problems. I mm-hmm. think it may. I don't know if it's a fad or I don't know if it's uh, something that's here for the long term. Uh, I think it remains to be seen. Huh. Interesting. Okay, Tony, if somebody is uh, wants to follow up on any of this or ask you some questions or... Uh, just find out about getting into the market or selling their house. How do they get a hold of you? Definitely. I mean, the, the best way to get a hold of us is, uh, you know, zip us an email, Tony at TonyJoHall.com, or check us out on social, Instagram, which is Tony Johal Real Estate Team, or Facebook, Tony Johal Real Estate Team. Thanks Man, so much, fantastic. Tony. Really appreciate my, it. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Jess. Take care. All right. See ya. Bye-bye. That was good to get Tony on. He uh, always has some good insights into the market. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate that. That wraps it up for us, guys. Tomorrow is reopening Eve in Ontario, and we will talk about all that and more on the next edition of the After 9 podcast. You have yourselves a fantastic hump day. The After 9 podcast is powered by Tony Johal, broker at REMAX Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. (laughs) And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.